You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for the coming of Jesus. We pray that we might know him and trust him even more, and we pray for that grace so that it might be true. We pray for these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see you all here today. Merry Christmas. So good to be with you on this Lord's Day. Sundays are days that we remind ourselves on this first day of the week that the Lord is alive, that he is the king of our lives, and that he is worthy of our worship. And what better day to remind ourselves of that than today? Christmas Day is a day that we are reminded that Jesus is alive, that he is the king of our lives, and that he is worthy of our worship. Uh, Yesterday, if you weren't with us last night, we thought about the fact that Jesus isn't perhaps just born out on the outskirts of town, hoping for our sympathy, but he is born right in the midst of us, right in the busyness of our lives, demanding our attention. And so in the continuation of one of the most well-known and regularly pieces of scripture in the Bible, we're just going to pick right up where we left off and get to the shepherds and the angels tonight. And we'll see this divided here tonight in two halves. We're going to think about glory to God in the highest, but then the glory of God in the lowest. Glory to God in the highest and the glory of God in the lowest. So, first of all, Luke tells us in verse 8 that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, the same region of Judea or of Bethlehem. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. So he changes the scene, Luke does here, presumably on the same night as Jesus' birth, but that's not clear, but we'll leave that one alone so we don't have to ruin one more thing about the Christmas story like we ruined everything last night. But the scene changes to the fields, somewhere outside of Bethlehem, and all of a sudden, like whammo, an angel of the Lord appears. The shepherds are just out in the fields doing the same thing that they do and have done every single day and night of their lives, and then 
something happens. An angel of the Lord appears, presumably the same Gabriel who came to Zechariah and Mary in chapter 1. The, the word angel just means messenger. And so just like he brought an announcement, a message of news in chapter 1, the messenger comes here again in chapter 2 with now the third announcement of news. But before this announcement, Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord appears. The glory surrounds the shepherds. This appearance is the kind of like Old Testament Shekinah glory. And this kind of appearance is actually pretty rare in the Bible. I think we often think about if we lived in Bible times that we would see the glory of the Lord like every day of our life, and it's just not true. This is a rare event, even in Jesus' coming life and ministry that will follow through Luke. Uh, the Shekinah glory of the Lord appearing only really happens at his transfiguration. This is a rare event, and the shepherds are rightly afraid of something that is so clearly unlike who they are. This is something of a different realm, and maybe they have now come to the very last day of their lives. They see the glory of the Lord appearing in their midst, and they look at their sheep, and they're like, sheep, it's been real. This was it. It's been a, it's been a good run with you all, but now we are all dead. But the glory of God, as we'll see, while it might rightly consume those in whose presence the glory comes, has actually come not to consume the shepherds, but has come to draw near, has come to transform. And so this messenger, this messenger angel, tells the shepherds to actually not be afraid of this life-consuming glory, but that the news is to bring them not death or fear, but joy. Not just for them, but joy for all people, for the whole earth, Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is actually the only time that Luke puts those three words, Savior, Christ, and Lord, together in his whole gospel account. The angel's announcement is that of a David-like Savior. He will bring salvation, someone who saves from peril or from danger, just like David saved Israel from the giant Goliath by going to war with him. He will be a savior. But he is also the Christ, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which is just another word for the anointed one. This is also a David-like role. As a boy, David was anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel. The oil set him apart from the rest of his brothers as the true and rightful king of Israel. And so ever since then, Israel had longed for another anointed one, another Messiah like David, who would come and deliver his people. But even more than that, or put together on top of that as a David-like Savior and Messiah, Jesus, this one, is to be the Lord. He is a master. He is a ruler. And as we saw yesterday, Luke has Caesar Augustus, at least in his mind, in chapter 2. And so it is no accident that when Augustus aligns the imperial calendar and sends out good tidings or good news, literally the gospel of Augustus, thinking about that and perhaps even making subtle fun of that reality, the supposedly divine birth of a savior born in Rome, the God and Lord of the empire, Luke is picking up all this language and saying that the glory is actually not in Rome. The glory of God is here in the backest of backwoods, Bethlehem. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord, the ruler. And since 
these shepherds should obviously go and see, to go and to worship him. The angel tells them how to find him. There might have been another baby born this last week or even this day in Bethlehem. And so they tell them that you'll know that this baby is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, if he and when you find him lying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And so maybe as they're gathering their things to get ready to go see and find him, uh, a huge mob then of heavenly hosts appear, singing as the heavenly host always does in the Old Testament, as praising God. They're singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory, 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 the highest glory, the superlative glory. Any glory that you can think of should go to God. Just as they sang, holy, 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 the superlative, the holiest of holy in Isaiah 6. To God of Israel be all glory. He is bringing peace to those upon whom he sets his favor. He is setting his blessing, his peace, their sense of belonging and joy to those whom his face shines on. Again, all of this is Old Testament language brought back up that God has now, just as he has in former times, now come again to be with his people, to dwell with his people. So go, the angels say, go find him. Fellas, it's time, go worship him. God has once again come to his people. And yet, while there should be unceasing praise of glory to God in the highest, the humble and outsider shepherds are given these instructions to find a glory to God in the highest kind of God in the very lowest of places. So now we're going to see, displayed in humility, the glory of God in the lowest. I once heard someone reflect on this passage that of like perhaps imagining God telling Gabriel or whoever this Luke 2 messenger is, telling him to finally go and announce that the Christ has been born. And so Gabriel says, finally, all right, we've been waiting for a long time for this, finally. All right, yes, God, we're going to Rome, right? Send me to Rome. I should go to Rome and announce over the highest kingdom in the earth that the high king of heaven has arrived. Okay, great. No, hold up. No, not Rome, not Rome. Okay, not Rome. Uh, Jerusalem then. I'll blow the trumpet over the temple that the priest king, the new David, has arrived to reign over his temple. No? Not Jerusalem then? Then where? The rural farm village of Bethlehem. You won't announce to kings or to priests or to rulers. You'll announce to shepherds, the lowliest, the dirtiest vocation there is. That is who the announcement should go to first. He won't be born in palaces or temples. He'll be born amongst anonymous, forgettable people. Maybe even amongst animals without any fanfare at all. This is the low and humble nature of the mission of Jesus. As he'll one day say, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is astounding. The high king, creator of the universe, glory to God in the highest kind of God, has not come to take from people, to be served by them, but to serve them. Just as Kyle was even praying, he did not use his divinity as something to serve himself. 
but he used it by assuming a human nature with no rights at all in order to serve. This is not what we expect, or even if we're honest, I think what we even want in a king. We love the fanfare. We love self-promotion. We love the conquest of our enemies. We are all about promoting ourselves. We are all about promoting our institutions that we belong to or that we are proud of. We promote our benefits, what it, the good things about ourselves and about our institutions. We love to promote our distinctives, what makes us different and better than those in the world. But on Christmas Day, this story reemphasizes that status and perceived importance is not what makes a person. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel had come to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to single out the anointed one, the Messiah, Samuel figured that God would understandably choose the strongest, the mightiest, the most attractive one of Jesse's sons. But God told Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Him being the first son of Jesse and then the next and then the next and then the next. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God does not build. God does not promote as we would. Well, the kingdom of the world is always glory followed by then humility. Like, think about it. Even the most incredible and the most glorious and the most amazing person or people that have ever lived inevitably are followed by humility. They die. They are forgotten like everyone else. Caesar Augustus got buried somewhere, someplace, and no one is daily affected by his life, by his character today. Humility inevitably followed any level of glory in his life, and humility inevitably follows any level of glory in ours. But the kingdom of heaven is humility followed by unending glory, exaltation. Again, here in chapter 2, Luke is presenting Mary's song of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven. But it's actually not upside-down, is it? It's actually right-side-up. I'm not sure how many Stranger Things references have been made today in Christmas services around the world. Maybe none. Uh, But Jesus comes into darkness, into the darkness of our world to show us that we are actually living in an upside-down world. We think everything is right-side-up. But this world is not created or intended to be in this state We have corrupted it. We have ruined it. Our political structures are almost entirely self-serving. Our workplaces are difficult. Our relationships are strained. And since it's all we've ever known, we think, well, that's just the way it is. That's life. But that is the world that Jesus has come into fix and into to restore. I recently read this about the incarnation of Jesus, of him becoming like us, among us, and for us, that the incarnation took all that properly belongs to our humanity and delivered it back to us, redeemed. All of our inclinations and appetites and capacities and yearnings are purified and gathered up and glorified by Christ. He did not come to thin out human life. He came to set it free. 
All the dancing, all the feasting, and processing, and singing, and building, and sculpting, sculpting, and baking, and merrymaking that belonged to us and that were stolen away for the service of false gods. Think about everything that I just said, all of our life that gets stolen away from us, even stolen away by us for the service of false gods, are returned to us in the gospel. Because here's where this is headed. Luke is giving us hints where all this is going in the imagery of the first day of his life that then should, as we continue to read, bring back echoes on his last day of his life. Compare this, Luke 2, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Compare that to Luke 23, 53. Then Joseph took Jesus' body down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. A wrapped body laid down. He is born to die. Even here on the first day of his life, being laid in a feeding trough, the infant Jesus is offering himself as bread from heaven, by which if we would eat of it, we will always be satisfied, never to hunger again. Come and eat he will later tell his disciples. But of course, none of the people here present in Bethlehem have any clue about any of that or where this is going. The shepherds show up in verse 17 and they tell everyone in the house what had happened with the announcement and like this explosion glory bomb out in the fields. And all who heard it in verse 18 wondered. They got big eyes. Like they thought there was just this baby that was born. Maybe Mary told them something about some messenger angel that had come to her before this birth. Maybe not. But when these shepherds arrive and tell of what they had just seen and heard, now everyone in the house is thinking, what now? Who is this? What is happening? What kind of awesomeness will come for us, the people of Israel, because of this baby? I'm for that. Mary, though, Luke tells us in verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She will likely look back on this night in three decades or so in a different but similar silent night of darkness where God then on a Friday and then a Saturday night is not speaking, where there are no answers, when her son is dead, when her Lord is dead. There are no answers, only confusion only then on a Sunday morning to burst forth in joy, in clarity, in answers that he is risen. That's what this first like magical week of his life was about, Mary must have been thinking. Overwhelmed with joy that finally now made clear in her life, full of wondering, of treasuring truths in her heart, of hearing about angels singing in the heavens, of glory to God for this one, that's what the glory of God was all about. That's why God was using me, she must be thinking. Like, who am I that he would use me? It is about saving us from what we need saving from. The gospel, the good news of peace and joy, is about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is about scattering the proud who despise and who have no need for God. It is about exalting the humble who utterly depend upon God for light and life. It is about life through death and glory through humility. 
It's been said, imagine Satan's unhinged frustration when he learned that thousands of years of building a wicked kingdom would be wiped out by one baby. The high king of heaven, assuming humanity to live and to die for us. That's where all of this is headed. And if that's the case, then this Christmas story does not end here. If Christmas is actually about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then this story here in Luke 2 is actually just beginning. The shepherds go back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And then on the eighth day, Luke tells us that Jesus is both circumcised as a son of Israel and then given the name Jesus or Joshua or Yeshua. That means God is salvation. This baby is God is salvation. And so if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. Next week, if you might be still in town or looking for a church home, we're going to, on New Year's Day, we're going to just continue on right where we left off here in Luke 2, the two childhood arrivals of Jesus to the temple as a baby arriving at the temple and then him getting lost at the temple as a 12-year-old. I hope you'll join us to get to know Jesus more closely, more intimately as Savior, as the Christ, as Lord that you might understand the nature of the kingdom of heaven and that you might trust him not to thin out your human life, but to set it free as you were created to know him, created to live and dwell with God, our Emmanuel. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that you have a kingdom of glory, that you are deserving of all glory, and it is good and right for you to sit on your throne and for us to offer you worship and praises. And we are so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you now sit at the right hand of the Father to evermore receive this glory and praise. But we are also so thankful that you have shown us the way of your kingdom, of glory only followed by humility. Not to be served, but to serve. We pray that you would cause this reality to force us into a greater humility of worship, of praise, of dependence on you, that we would turn from ourselves and our own kingdom making and live peacefully and humbly in your kingdom. We pray that you might get great glory in our lives and our thoughts and our attitudes and our inclinations and our longings, even through our conflict and our sin that you have come to redeem us from all in this Christmas season. We pray for all these things for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.